0: Turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I'll be reading Hebrews 10, 1 through 14 in just a moment. For those of you who are tuning in with us and, and have just started following along with us here during our live stream COVID crisis season, um, before all of that took place, we have been working our way expositionally through the New Testament book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a beautiful masterful sermonic letter that unpacks the glories of our crucified, risen, and descended, ascended Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. The, the message of Hebrews is there's no one like him. There's no one who has accomplished what he has accomplished. There's no one who can continue to do what Jesus does. According to the message of the book of Hebrews, Jesus And Jesus Christ alone is worthy of all your trust and all your devotion. And to prove his point, the author has taken great length to demonstrate how Jesus is better than everything that was respected, loved, and cherished under the Old Covenant. Jesus is a better messenger than the angels, Jesus is a better prophet and leader than Moses. Jesus is a better rest than the promised land. Jesus is a better high priest than Aaron. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant on the basis of a better sacrifice, which brings better benefits and blessings to all who trust in him. Here's the point of Hebrews. Jesus is better. And he is worthy of all your trust and devotion. That's the main point of Hebrews. And that's what we had been exploring up until we took a break at the beginning of the COVID crisis. And we wanted to wait until after Holy Week to jump back in. So with all of that as a preface, would you take your Bible now and join me in reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. Let us hear The word of God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, There is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is God's word. Thanks be to God. And may he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And church, we desperately need his spirit. Hebrews chapter 8 through 10 Uh, Are all about Jesus being the mediator of a better covenant. The old covenant has passed and the new covenant has come. What the old anticipated, Christ delivers. What the old foreshadowed, Christ solidifies. What the old symbolized, Christ actualized. What the old promised, Christ fulfills. The author's main argument in this three chapter section is that through the once for all sacrifice of Christ, our great high priest, the benefits and blessings of the new covenant have been secured for all who trust in him. That's the theme of these three chapters. Chapter eight dealt with the better covenant itself. You may remember how we explored the author's quotation of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, how Christ fulfilled the promises of the better covenant. In chapter nine, we considered the basis of that better covenant, the blood shed by Christ through his better sacrifice. And then now in chapter 10, what we're dealing with are the better benefits that come to us through Christ's sacrifice, which established this new covenant. In general, we could summarize the the benefits this way. Where there was once restriction under the old covenant, there is now freedom in Christ under the new covenant. And so here we are in chapter 10 verses 1 through 14 and the author is now expanding the details of these benefits by contrasting the limited benefits that came through the old covenant sacrificial system with the unlimited and superior benefits that come to all who enter into a covenant relationship through the merits of the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And these details of these benefits are not just boring details to rush over. These aren't like the fine print in that, um, in that uh, contract that you sign for the mortgage or for the house. These aren't the details you just kind of brush over and just sign, okay, fine. No. These details are worthy of examination. Because these details, these benefits that come to us as we enter into contractual relationship with God through Christ are mind blowing. And the intent is for us to take full advantage of every line of detail that explains the benefits that are ours in Christ. The details are important to note because details of these benefits are astounding. And the point of the contrast is so that those of us who hope in Christ would not only be more deeply amazed by these benefits, but that we would also take advantage of these benefits. And that's the big idea we want to consider from these 14 verses this morning, and it's this. Take hold of the benefits that are yours in Christ take hold of the benefits that are yours in Christ these benefits are yours for the taking they are yours to experience by grace through Christ now and forever and the most foolish thing you would want to do is to have access to all these benefits that cost Christ so dearly and not take advantage of them. That would be foolish. And so the pastoral burden of the writer and my pastoral burden for you this morning is that you would see these benefits, be amazed by these benefits, and take hold of these benefits that come to us freely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, For some of us, though, let's be honest. As we look through this, we're going to see that we treat these benefits like the gym membership we already have that's fully paid for. (laughs) We have it, and despite the COVID crisis, even before we weren't allowed to go, we weren't going, okay? The majority of you who own a gym membership don't regularly take advantage of the benefits of that gym membership. Very similarly, we have this amazing list of benefits that have been secured for us by Christ. And I believe with great humility and honesty, we need to admit that we don't take advantage of them like we should. These benefits are meant to be an active blessing in your life as a Christian. Let me just give you one quote here and then we're gonna dive into the text. David Peterson, in his comments on the text, makes the following observation. He says, There is a sense in which we will, we will still wait to enjoy the complete salvation that has been secured for us. Nevertheless, many of its benefits can be experienced and advanced. Now here's the truth, the best is yet to come. As we consider the great salvation that's been secured for us through the one and only crucified and risen Christ, as we wait to enjoy them in their fullness, we need to understand that even though the best is yet to come, there is still so many good things, and he uses that language, so many good things for us to take hold of now. As we wait for that future glorious day. So what are they? What are the benefits we are to take hold of? Well, the benefits that come to us freely through the once for all sacrifice of Christ are presented as better than the benefits of the repeated sacrifices of the old covenant. So I think we'll explore what these benefits are as we consider the contrast. So let's consider the contrast. First, the limited benefits of the old Verses one through four and eleven. In verses one through four, the author summarizes what the old covenant sacrifices could and could not do. In summary, they were quite—they were quite limited in the benefits that they could bring. First, look at what they could not do. Notice in verse one the reference to sacrifices that were continually offered every year. This is a reference to the annual sacrifice offered by the high priest. On the Day of Atonement, what modern-day Jewish followers call Yom Kippur. This was the most holy day on Israel's liturgical calendar. It was the day when all of Israel gathered around the temple as the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice that was offered for the sins of all the people. The people knew on that day what they should have known all year long. The people knew their sin had made a breach between them and God. The people knew that they deserved God's judgment for those sins. And the people knew that their only hope as sinners was for God in his mercy to accept the death of another in their place as a substitute. Only this would appease his wrath. This was a moment of sobering worship as they declared their trust in the mercy of God. But those annual sacrifices, along with the repeated daily sacrifices that were offered in the morning and at night by the priesthood, referenced in verse 11, these sacrifices were limited in how they benefited these worshipers. According to the text, those sacrifices could never do two things— They could never perfect those who drew near. That's verse 1. And they could never take away sins. That's verse 4 and verse 11. So together, what we're being told in this text is that those Old Testament sacrifices were limited because these sacrifices were never capable of satisfying the most pressing need of those who gathered at the temple. They needed to be perfected which means to be made whole and complete and consecrated before God. And they needed to be cleansed. That is, they needed their sins to be forgiven, purged, washed away. And so the only way to be whole and acceptable in the presence of God's holiness was for their guilt and their sin to be eradicated. But these sacrifices, we're told, could never do that. These sacrifices could not remove the guilt from their consciences. These sacrifices could not lift the shame from their soul. These sacrifices could not forgive the debt they owed to God because of their rebellion. And so his argument in verse 2 is that if they could, they wouldn't have needed to be offered again and again and again. If they could do that, they would have been offered once for all. But instead, they had to be repeated over and over and over again. So if they are limited and if they cannot perfect worshipers, if they're limited and if they cannot cleanse from sin, then what was their benefit? What were they for? Notice verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. These sacrifices were beneficial in a limited capacity because of what they reminded God's people of. These sacrifices were beneficial in that they reminded God's people that they were sinners in need of God's mercy. Mercy that would keep them from facing the judgment they deserved for their sin. Mercy that would maintain the life-giving relationship that they desperately needed and were made for by their creator. So the whole sacrificial system under the Old Covenant was a reminder... A reminder that although God created man to have intimate relationship with God, that their sin had created a barrier. On account of human sin, humanity forfeited the great privilege of being able to draw near into the presence of a holy God. So these sacrifices under the old covenant were a benefit because they were a reminder of what was lost and what needed to be restored. So in summary, here's the benefit. Every sacrifice was a reminder that sin is a hindrance to fellowship with God. That sin merits God's righteous judgment. And that their only hope is the mercy of God who accepts a substitute in their place through sacrifice. So let's think about this before we go any further. What was their their benefit In participating in these sacrifices is our benefit in reading about these sacrifices. Do not avoid the bloody sections of the Old Testament. Although they are not PETA approved, they are God approved, and they are for our good. They benefit us to a degree. Do not avoid the book of Leviticus. Do not avoid the the details of the sacrificial system and all the different sacrifices that were offered. Don't don't avoid the the readings in the Old Covenant, especially in the books of Moses that detail the the tabernacle and the temple and the worship system. Why? Because as you read them, you will be reminded. You'll be reminded that every sacrifice is a reminder of, That your sin is a hindrance to fellowship with God. That your sin deserves the just wrath of God. And that your only hope as a sinner is for God to show you mercy through accepting the substitute of another in your place through sacrifice. That's beneficial to a degree. The other benefit is mentioned in verse 1. These sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant, according to the law, we're told were a shadow of the good things to come. Now, if you've been studying with us through the book of Hebrews, when you hear those words, good things, you may remember that the good things in scripture, or the good things in Hebrews, is shorthand for the benefits and blessings of the new covenant that come to us in Christ. The good things to come are all the, all the benefits that are packed into the new covenant blessing that the Messiah, that Christ would bring for his people. For example, back in chapter 9, verse 11, we read, Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. So in summary, the, the limited benefit of the sacrifices under the old covenant was that they reminded people of how much they needed the Christ. How much they needed the Messiah to come and bring the good things promised in the new covenant through his sin-forgiving sacrifice in their place. So the ultimate benefit, the author is telling us, of the entire old covenant sacrificial system, not just the day of atonement, but all of the sacrifices, think of verse 11, was that they all pointed to the day when there would be a sacrifice that would have the capacity To perfect those who drew near and to wash away all sin. So now the author contrasts the limited benefits of those repeated sacrifices under the old covenant with the once for all sacrifice of Christ. And so let's notice now second the unlimited and superior benefits of the new. Verse 5 is the hinge, is the transition. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, there's the setup of the contrast. What he does from here is show how the good things to come have come with the coming of Christ. With the coming of Jesus, the good things that everything in the old covenant pointed to and prepared us for have now arrived through the coming of Christ. And so notice he has lots of places he could do this from the Old Testament. But he chooses to support this claim with an extended quotation from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And so here we have bracketed off, if, you're, if your English translation is, is set up like mine, you have bracketed off verses 5, 6, and 7. This is a direct quotation from Psalm 40, 6 through 8. And here in this quotation... He's doing two things. He's not only showing how Christ was giving a body to come and offer himself to be that ultimate sacrifice. He also shows us through this quotation the ultimate heart of God behind the whole sacrificial system. See, God wasn't just into dead animals. There was something behind the sacrificial system that reflected the heart of God for man and his desire to be reunited, reconciled, with his people. So let's look at it. Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Just tuck this away as a side. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying that Christ said this. The author of Hebrews is attributing words from the Old Covenant to be the words of Jesus Christ. That is gold, okay? This is Jesus speaking. These words are meant to be heard as the very words of the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ. So what's Christ saying to us by saying these words? God's desire and God's pleasure was for the hearts of worshipers to be loyal to the will of God. That's what's behind the sacrificial system. God's desire, God's true pleasure is not in dead animals. Those are the sacrifices. God's heart, God's desire, God's pleasure is in the worshiper coming to God for mercy and longing to be reconciled. God's heart is for the worshiper to come and say, I have sinned, forgive me, have mercy. You are who I belong to. Your presence is my longing. Your will is my desire. Where you are, I want to be. That's what God was longing for from the heart of the worshipers who bring sacrifice. So God's desire is for his heart. And human hearts to be reunited in fellowship, purpose, mission, and love. The sacrifices were simply a means to that end. This is why you find so many scathing rebukes by the prophets in the Old Testament. About how God was not pleased with all their empty ritualistic sacrifices. As if God were primarily looking for people to go through the motions of killing animals. No, He was after their heart. He wanted their will to be in sync with His will. And that's where Jesus comes and shows us not only the, mo- the model heart of a true worshiper. He says, I- I've come to do your will, O oh Lord. You've given me this body. You've given me this body, and here's what I want to do with this body. I delight to do your will, oh God. Oh yes, he's going to offer a sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. The once for all sacrifice that bring us the benefits that we are going to go nuts over in just a few moments, I hope. It's my prayer. But Jesus said, here's why I'm sacrificing. Here's what pleases God. Here's what God desires He desires for us who've been separated from him because of our sin to come back, to be with him, to know him, to love him, to be in sync with him, to join him in what he's doing in this world to make it thrive and be blessed and give him glory. That's the heart of God. For God and man to be together, to live together, to serve together, to love together. And Jesus says, that's why you've given me a body to sacrifice. So Jesus not only brings the sacrificial system to an end, that's verse 9. He does away with the first, that's the sacrificial system. To establish the second, which is to create hearts that desire to do the will of God. He brings God and man Back together. And here's how it's described. And that's the benefit. He brings God and human beings back together. And he uses a beautiful word to describe that benefit. Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. There it is. There is the benefit in a nutshell. We have been sanctified. It's the Greek word hagiadzo. It literally means to be set apart as. Holy. Maybe you've heard of that majestic temple, Hagia Sophia. It's a, it's a beautiful temple that's described as holy wisdom, a, a beautiful place set apart for God to be worshipped while you have become the Hagia Sophia in Christ. You've been set apart and made a holy place. And that word sanctified has two layers of meaning that I think unpack the riches of the benefit of being sanctified. The first layer is cleansing, and the second layer is consecration. And together, both layers satisfy what was lacking in all the repeated sacrifices under the old covenant sacrificial system. What couldn't they do? We were just told they couldn't perfect the worshipers and they couldn't take away sin. In this word sanctified, the author's saying here's what Jesus' once for all sacrifice did. It did both. It perfects, consecrates, sets apart, makes you whole in the presence of God. Why? Because it cleanses and takes away sin. The single sacrifice of Christ has done both. That's what the word sanctified means in this context. Through Christ, you are cleansed and you are consecrated. These are the benefits that you are being called to take hold of and enjoy. So let's take a few moments to to explore what, what it means in a limited amount of time. What does it mean that we are cleansed and we are sanctified? How are these truly benefits? And and how do we normally neglect to take hold of them? Let's consider this for a few moments. First, the benefit of cleansing. Remember in verse 4 that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. Well, this is not the case with the better sacrifice of Jesus. His blood cleanses you from all your sin. Past present and future his sacrifice completely removes all your guilt and covers all your shame he purifies and forgives you completely so think about this in the context of the wording the author of hebrews has chosen to use in this set in this section a body was prepared for christ To come and do the will of God. And so the second person of the Trinity took on a human body and came to this earth to do what was necessary to cleanse you from all your sin. That's what Jesus did. He obeyed in your place in that body to be your righteousness before God. And he died in that body to be your mercy and forgiveness. He paid the debt you owed to God in full. Finally, it's finished. That's why in verse 12, he's sitting down. What was necessary to bring you full and complete cleansing from all your sin and guilt and shame has been accomplished in full By the better sacrifice of Christ. What's that mean? In God's eyes, you are no longer seen as a sinner. You are seen as a saint. That's what the word saint means. A holy one. One who has been set apart and cleansed by God. You see, remember all those sacrifices were offered to cause worshipers to remember the sins that deserve God's judgment. We're told that explicitly in this text. These offerings were given, sacrificed annually to be a reminder of sin. What about the full and final once for all sacrifice of Jesus? What is that sacrifice to remind you of? Not of your sins, but of your cleansing. Your sins, we're told at the end of this chapter, God will remember no more. Whereas under the old covenant, those sacrifices were to remind you of your sin. Here under the new covenant, the once for all sacrifice of Christ is to remind you that God no longer thinks about you according to those sins. God no longer relates to you as a sinner who fails constantly trying to be a saint. We are told through this word, sanctified, that God views you as a saint who struggles with sin that has all been forgiven at the cross. That is astounding. When God looks at you, to be sanctified means that when God looks at you, he no longer sees you in, his, in your sin, he sees you in his son. When he looks at you, he doesn't remember all the ways you failed him, he looks at you and remembers how his son has fully pleased him. When he looks at you, he doesn't push away from you because you're unclean. He draws near to you because you've been fully cleansed. So this benefit is such a radical reversal of the condition of our soul. It actually changes your identity. You are a saint. <laughs> That's what you call someone who's been sanctified. And, and my Former religious tradition, I, I thought that sainthood was reserved for like the, the the really, 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 really great people like Mother Teresa. she achieved sainthood by her extraordinary love and compassion in her religious tradition. Well, what the gospel tells us, what the scripture tells us, is that everyone who hopes in the better sacrifice of Christ, everyone who comes and enters into relationship with God into the new covenant through the blood of jesus every single one who hopes in christ is indeed a saint if you are in christ you are a saint you're sanctified this is how god sees you and relates to you my question is is this how you see you and relate to god in christ God doesn't see you as a sinner trying your best to be a saint but failing. In Christ, God sees you as a saint who still struggles with the sins that have already been forgiven at the cross. There's a difference. You are cleansed. You are a saint because in Christ you have this amazing benefit. You have been sanctified. Past tense. Complete action. That's how God relates to you. And this is how you ought to relate to God. What a benefit. So, how do we fail to take hold of this benefit? You may remember I mentioned earlier that as we look at these benefits, we may be, we may come to the realization, you know what, I I really don't take hold of that benefit like I should. Well, when I'm not taking hold of this benefit of being fully cleansed as a saint, how do I do that? I think we do it in at least three ways, and this, I can't go into detail on this at this point, but let me just mention the three ways I think we typically fail to take hold of this benefit. They all start with W wallowing, washing, and withdrawing. The first would be wallowing in guilt. We've failed him. We've sinned again. Yes, we have, and yes, we will. So rather than allowing our failures, to bring us to the presence of God in gratitude that those sins are forgiven and we're cleansed of them already in Christ. We tend to go down this path of wallowing and and groveling and trying to self-atone and make up for our sin. That's one way we fail to take hold of the benefit of the full cleansing that's ours in Christ. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be convicted. It doesn't mean we shouldn't feel bad when we fail. But how long we feel bad when we fail is an indication of how much we understand what has been achieved by Christ. Let there be sadness. Let there be godly sorrow. But may that quickly move to celebration that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all sin. And that leads to the next way we, we tend to not take hold of this benefit of cleansing, and that is trying to wash ourselves. We, we have a habit when we feel dirty, spiritually, we try to wash ourselves and make ourselves clean. Um, there's another way to describe this. It's self-atonement. We feel bad for our sin. We looked at something we shouldn't have looked at on the internet. We've said something about someone that we shouldn't have. We've gossiped. We've, we were angry and edgy. And we were bitter towards a friend or our spouse. And we know we sinned. Again, rather than simply coming to Christ. And saying, thank you for cleansing me. And going with a renewed commitment to obedience And being reconciled to the ones we've sinned against, what we try to do is make up for our sin. Let's read my Bible a little more. Let me just pray a little more. Let me do a good deed here, a good deed there. Those are actually good things to do, but not motivated by a desire to make myself better before God. So we try to wash up. Another thing that we do when we don't take hold of this benefit of cleansing is withdrawing. When we feel guilty about our sin, when we don't recognize that we're fully washed through the cleansing sacrifice of Christ, we tend to withdraw from God. We know God is holy. We know our sin is morally filthy. Therefore, we, we don't approach him. We, we actually back away from him. We, we don't draw near to him in fellowship and we, we stay away from those who are in fellowship with him. We, we tend to take this out on the church as well and our godly friends who are just as struggling as we are so we withdraw again forgetting that because we're fully cleansed sanctified we can come to god we've not lost our standing with god we've not broken off the relationship with god because christ ever lives above to make intercession for us so here's the big deal you've been cleansed take hold of this benefit When you fail, bring your failures to God and acknowledge quickly, quickly, the cleansing that is yours by grace through faith in Christ and move on in gratitude that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. So that's the benefit of cleansing. What a benefit. What a benefit. The second benefit is the benefit of consecration. That's the second layer of what this word sanctified means in this context. The word sanctified means to be set apart. Again, you may recall, we've, we've talked about this a lot throughout the study in Hebrews, that under the old covenant, it was exclusively the Levitical priesthood that was set apart from all the other tribes and consecrated for worship and service in the kingdom of God. Only they could serve God in the temple. Only they could draw near to the holy place. And only the high priest could draw near into the most holy place, and that only being once a, a year. That was then. Now under the new covenant in Christ, those who trust in him are a kingdom of priests. Meaning we all have the benefit of drawing near into the presence of God. We all have the privilege of being set apart in service for the kingdom of God. What was an exclusive benefit to the tribe of Levi is a full Benefit for all who hope in Christ. We can all come into God's presence. We can all fellowship in the presence of God. We can all worship in the presence of God. We can all present ourselves as living sacrifices to serve the living God. We have been set apart, consecrated for fellowship, worship, and mission. And what does this result in? Another benefit of being set apart As we spend time fellowshipping with God, as we spend time worshiping in the presence of God, as we spend time joining God in his mission in the world, what happens as we spend all this time in the presence of God? We are transformed. We are renewed. We become more like the one we've been set apart to be with. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says, not just Moses, But we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being changed into the very same image from one degree of glory to the next. For this happens by the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, like Moses had the privilege and benefit of being near God, worshiping in his presence, serving in his presence, going out and representing him among the people. Paul is saying it's not just Moses, all. All of us who've been made partakers of the benefits of the new covenant have that same privilege. And as we operate within that benefit, as we operate within that privilege, what happens? Our lives are changed. We become more like the one we spend time with. So we have these amazing benefits. In Christ, you've been set apart for fellowship with God. In Christ, you've been set apart for the worship of God. In Christ, you've been set apart for joining God in mission, the mission of God. And in Christ, you've been set apart for renewal into the likeness of God. All of this is what it means to be sanctified. We have been sanctified, cleansed, and consecrated through Christ. You've been set apart for fellowship, worship, worship, service, and renewal in the presence of God. So are you maximizing the enjoyment of these benefits? So how do we take hold, how do we fail to take hold of this benefit in particular, consecration being set apart? Well, if we've been set apart to draw near to the presence of God, failing to take advantage of this benefit would be to not draw near to the presence of God. It would be not drawing near it would be not coming to him for fellowship. And the way that practically works itself out is that we, we don't read our Bible, we don't pray, we don't worship in, in, in private. Uh, so we, we forfeit this benefit when we fail to draw near privately in personal devotion. We, we fail to draw, we fail to take a hold of this benefit when we don't pursue him in worship. What's this look like? It looks like, well, let's be honest, skipping church. <laughs> not being with the church for pu- public worship. Not tuning in now for the live stream, or not being together when we're able to all be together. We skip church because we don't think we need it all the time, and other things are more important. Is there anything more important, is there anything more beneficial to our souls than gathering together in the presence of God to give him the glory that he's worthy of? Maybe even during this time of COVID crisis, we become a little bit more acutely aware of how desperately we need to be together. One of the ways we fail to partake in this benefit is by not assembling together as is the habit of some. That's later on in chapter 10. We don't pursue God in service. That's another way um, that, we, that we fail to take hold of this benefit. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, how do we respond to all this new covenant blessing that comes to us through Christ? Well, it should lead to us saying something on a daily basis like Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Where he said, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, we read in this text that Christ was given a body to do the will of God. We, as those who've received the benefits that have come to us through the broken body and blood of Christ, should take our bodies and say, here we are, Lord. We want to serve you. So it looks like waking up each day, living like a consecrated Christian, Saying, here I am, God. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do your will. And then all of this leads to our lives being transformed and becoming more like Christ. So you have been set apart to be with God for all these nuanced reasons. And when you take hold of these benefits, you are honoring what it cost to secure them. The blood of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, this is such good news to the author that it's worth repeating in verses 11 through 14. And so he basically says in summary of this section, unlike the priests who offer repeated sacrifices with limited benefits, Jesus offered a single sacrifice for sin. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. He sat down and he will come back one day to rid the earth of all his enemies and make all things new. And while we wait for that day, Here's the benefits. For by a single offering verse 14 he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. While we wait for Jesus to come back, what should we be rejoicing in? What should we be making a big deal about? We're clean. We're consecrated. Our sins are washed away. We've been set apart in relationship with God for fellowship, worship, mission, and life transformation. And let's spend our days taking hold of these benefits and in the process making much of the one who secured these benefits through his death on the cross in our place. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This is amazing grace. Do you agree? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the sending of your son. Thank you so much that he's the mediator of a better covenant based on a better sacrifice that brings us the better benefits and blessings of the new covenant. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you that through Christ, our hearts are washed clean. Thank you that our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is gone. Our shame is covered. Thank you that you no longer see us in our sin. You see us in your son. You no longer relate to us as failures. You relate to us as those who have been secured through the successes of one Jesus Christ. Thank you that we no longer have to run away from you when we fail, but we can come to you quickly and claim the forgiveness that's already been secured for us through his once-for-all sacrifice. God, forgive us for trying to wash ourselves. Forgive us for trying to make ourselves right. Forgive us for trying to make up with you rather than just acknowledging that in Christ, you remember our sins no more. We are your saints. God, thank you for the benefit of consecration, for setting us apart to draw near to you in fellowship and in worship and in mission. And as a result of being with you, we're made more like you. God, oh, this is so good. Help us to take hold of these benefits, to enjoy them until we're with your son face to face and we can look our savior in the eyes and say, thank you. Until that day, will we boast? would we boast in your benefits down here as we wait to be with him up there. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stay bowed before the Lord for a few moments of reflection. Let's take a few moments to consider how we might respond to this word from God's word. I want to encourage you to take a few moments to reflect and to respond. To consider the benefits that have been secured for you in Christ. Just let him know. Let him know right there, at home, on your couch, wherever you are. Let him know how grateful you are that you are cleansed from all your sins. Let him know how grateful you are, how amazing it is to be set apart for his presence, to fellowship, worship, join him on mission, and be changed into his image. Let him know that your heart is to take advantage of these benefits all the more. And if you're not in Christ this morning, take some time to consider the record of the scriptures. How the Bible is one book that fits together. How all the Old Testament sacrifices that that may have been confusing to you and maybe even a little gross to you up until this moment are now being seen as the prelude to Christ. And right now, your your sins do make you filthy before God. And right now, your sins do create a barrier from you being near God. But if you were to put your hope and trust in Christ this morning, if you were to put your hope and trust in his sacrifice on the cross, Then by grace through faith in him, you will instantly be cleansed and consecrated for his presence now and forever. Would you put your hope in Christ? Amen. With all that in view, with the accent of this text on your heart, and on your mind now, there's really no better way to end this virtual worship gathering than to celebrate the benefits that come to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate. This is amazing grace. Amen. Amen. Let's rejoice together.